0: chapter 3, 1 Peter chapter 3, and I, I just want to speak briefly this morning as we come to prepare ourselves to come around the Lord's table this morning, and as we do that, it's my hope that you and I will be able to direct our attention to the Word of God as we use as as God uses his word in the power of his spirit to to tenderize our hearts to prepare us for this meal that is set before us we've been in 1st Peter chapter 3 for some time now and and really our text is 1st Peter chapter 3 verses 18 through 22 that's what we've been working through these last number of weeks. Today we'll be focusing mainly on verse 22. But as we do that, I want to remind you of the context. I think it is really important that you remember the context. And maybe the best place that we can go for that is is to look in verse 17. And in chapter 3, verse 17, you remember Peter's talking about this issue of suffering as a Christian and in verse 17, he says, for it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. And, and I hope I haven't overlooked that. Uh, it's been a number of weeks since we've been there, and, and I, I, I sense that I might have overlooked that. We might have overlooked that in the study, but I just want to emphasize it to you this morning. Throughout this little series, you know, mini-series and part of a series, verses 18 through 22, we've been emphasizing why it is that Christians need not fear suffering. That you don't have to fear suffering as a Christian. You as a believer in Jesus Christ, I as a believer in Jesus Christ, we do not have to fear being persecuted for being a Christian. But I suppose that we could also say that verses 18 through 22 is really an explanation or an explication of verse 17. In other words, why is it better to suffer for doing good according to the will of God than for doing evil? And Peter is giving his reason for that. This is the reason it's better to suffer according to the will of God. Verse 18, he begins. Why? For Christ also suffered once for sin. We might say it's better to suffer for doing good than for doing evil because of or on the basis of Christ's crucifixion. And we spent time in that, noticing how it is the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ that brings us into communion with God. That is to say that because of the work of Jesus on the cross, when God looks at you and I as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, he does not look at us as, well, okay, he doesn't have to sort of, turn his nose up at us. He doesn't have to say, "Well, you know, reluctantly, I guess I'll, I'll I'll accept you." No, because of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, every believer in Christ is a welcomed and well-pleasing part of the family of God. Not just welcome, but also well-pleasing. So it's better. You, you don't have to worry about suffering. Because, Christ, because of Christ's crucifixion. He, he not only brought us into communion with God, but he conquered even the most heinous of demons. But then the second thing we noticed last week is because of Christ's resurrection. Christ's resurrection. Remember we saw that, that analogy that he gave with Noah and the ark and the flood and, and that appeal that is made. Listen, listen, It is the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, and this is important, it is the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, powerfully and sovereignly applied, which is the assurance that all things are being worked together for good for those who love God, who are the ones who are called according to His purpose. It's the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ that assure you that everything is being worked together for good, even your suffering. Even the difficulties that you go through as a Christian. When what what, what he's saying here is this glorious truth about the resurrection of Jesus Christ as being the, 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 the foundation. Of our justification. That nothing can take it away. We don't have to fear suffering because of the crucifixion of Christ. How does that encourage us? Well, we've been brought into, as I said, communion with God. Through the conquering work of Jesus Christ. Second, we don't fear suffering as a Christian. Because of Christ's resurrection. And how does that work? Because... It's in the resurrection of Christ that we actually have the full assurance of justification. Peter says that when we come to Christ, we are actually appealing to God, listen, for a good conscience. Now, that's important, friends. That's to say that it's on the basis of the resurrection of Christ that we have the ability to have a good and clear conscience, to have our conscience clean and clear from the knowledge of our rightful condemnation. How does that work? I was just yesterday listening to a song and I heard this song and I said, that's it. That's what Peter is talking about in 1 Peter chapter 3. This is back in the 80s, I'm guessing, when this song was written, which is when, as I say, all good songs were written in the 80s. And, and this song says this, I've just seen Jesus. Do you remember that? I've just seen Jesus. I tell you, He's alive. I've just seen Jesus, my precious Lord alive. And I knew He really saw me too, as if till now I'd never lived. All, here's the point. All that I've done before, what? Won't matter anymore. Cause I just seen Jesus and I'll never be the same again. That's what Peter's talking about, a pure conscience. A good conscience because Jesus lives. That's the assurance that our sins have been wiped out once and for all. Praise the Lord. It's the resurrection of Christ. So do what you will. You know, say what you will say about me as a believer in Jesus Christ, but He is alive. Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have an understanding of our absolute, acceptable, and justified standing before our holy God. To borrow the p- words of the Apostle Paul, if God is for us, who can be against us? But now this morning, we're turning to a third reason that Peter would say to suffer according to the will of God is better, or that we need not fear suffering. The third reason that suffering according to the will of God will never destroy His good plan for our lives, and that is because of Christ's glorification, Christ's crucifixion, Christ's resurrection, and Christ's glorification. We should not neglect this in verse 22. Let me me just read the text for us, beginning in verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, now here's the, the verse, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. Now when we speak of our Lord, we often, or maybe I should say I often, think much less of his ascension and glorification than I do of his crucifixion And his resurrection. But as we'll see this morning, the ascension of Christ, or as I'll say, his glorification, is the crowning jewel of Christian endurance and Christian joy. So I want us to look at this 22nd verse, and it's really a glorious verse. It deserves our full attention, so much so that we'll just begin to scratch the surface this week, and then we'll finish it next week the glorification of Jesus Christ. You might look at verse 22, and it may not be readily apparent to you, but the real emphasis is on Christ's exalted position. That's really the point. The exalted position of Christ is what is supposed to receive our concentration. In, in, in the Greek language, what stands in the, in, the, in the primary position is the fact that Jesus is at the right hand of God. That's his exalted position. Now, I want to show you how Peter gets there. He says, he went into heaven. Having gone into heaven, that's the ascension of Christ. He once left heaven to come to earth Now he leaves earth to go back into heaven. Remember in John 14, what did he call heaven? He called heaven my father's what? My father's house. He said, I'm going to go there and I'm going to prepare a place for all of those who are my followers. Heaven in the Bible is the place of the eternal throne of the eternal God. It is where God is ruling in perfect majesty and glory. Now remember, the ascension of Christ took place just east of Jerusalem on the Mount of Olives, some 40 days after the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus, as he was uh, being pr- preparing to, to ascend, he blessed his disciples. And as he gave his blessing, he began to ascend into heaven. You can read about that in Luke chapter 24 and Acts chapter 1. And just as he rose again bodily, just as he rose again physically, just as he rose again literally, so he also ascended literally, bodily, uh, uh, physically into heaven. This is not some sort of a mystical, mythical, spiritual uh, 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 thing that, that, that Peter's talking about, this ascension. Jesus of his disciples strained to catch a glimpse of him, and as, as he went up, a cloud hid them from, hid him from their view and two angels appeared in Acts chapter one and promised christ 's return just as you 've seen him being taken from you, this same Jesus will come again. But what is emphasized in this verse is not so much the ascension of Christ, though that is really integral to. To understanding the verse what is emphasized here is the glorified position of Christ the main verb in this verse is the word is he is at the right hand of God that's the focus and that's what I want us to consider this morning in preparation for the Lord's table what does it mean he is at the right hand of God this is something we read about over and over again in the scriptures. And I'm just, again, we're just scratching the surface, really setting up what we're going to be looking at next week. Through uh, We're going to be looking at this verse through the lens of Revelation chapter 4 and 5. When, when the book of Hebrews, when the author to the book of Hebrews uses this phrase referring to the right hand of God, the author would have us to understand something of the sufficiency and the completion of the work of of jesus christ so he says in hebrews if if you will just uh flip back there with me for just a moment hebrews chapter one verse three this is just one book back hebrews chapter one verse three speaking of the lord jesus christ he is the radiance of the glory of god the exact imprint of his nature and he upholds the universe by the word of his power now look After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Look over at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 11. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 11. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. You see how he's emphasizing the sufficiency and the completion of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. When, so, so when we see this phrase at the right hand of God used throughout the, the Bible, used throughout specifically the New Testament, we see it used in the book of Hebrews to, to, to suggest The the completion and the sufficiency of the work of Christ. But Peter, as he is writing this letter in 1 Peter chapter 3, he's actually wanting to emphasize the exalted position of Christ at the right hand. The right hand is the position of power, of of acceptance. I think the best way to describe it is to say that the right hand is the place or the position of preeminence of preeminence. And that's the point that we're to see. This is what we see emphasized throughout the scriptures over and over and over again. Jesus is seated there. Paul says in Ephesians chapter one, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the age to come. You hear that note of preeminence, superiority, Paul said in Philippians chapter 2, God has highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him, not us, not me, not you, but bestowed on Him the name that is above every name. Why? So that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow and every tongue would confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. He's emphasizing here the exalted position of Christ, His position of preeminence. To sit at the right hand of the king is to have his power, his acceptance, his superiority, his preeminence. I think, I'm pretty sure of this, Peter as he's writing, we've already seen that he has his finger in the Psalms when he's writing. And I think that he probably has in mind the most quoted Old Testament verse. The New Testament quotes this verse more than any other verse. It's Psalm 110, verse 1. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Peter is emphasizing the fact that there is a time coming. When the Lord Jesus Christ will be ruling over his enemies, and thus this proves to be the greatest encouragement to these scattered suffering saints it's the same thing that Paul does in Romans chapter 16 verse 20 when he says, "The God of all peace will shortly crush Satan under your feet Peters already Peter says that this has already happened he is already and yet there's this Already but not yet emphasis. Or, or, or already but not yet aspect. All are in subjection to Christ. He is preeminent. He is superior. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 4. Having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than they. He is a name which is above every name. The New Testament says for I am Sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. It says, then, then comes the end when he, Jesus, delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under His feet. But when it says all things that are put in subjection, it is plain that He is accepted who put all things in subjection under Him, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Why? For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, Against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. But by him, all these things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And you have been filled in him who is the head and rule of all authority. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. In Him, You see the preeminence of Jesus Christ. He's, he's the reason I have any hope. He's the reason I have any claim to a clean, a pure conscience that I know that right now there is no condemnation. No condemnation to those who are in Christ. But He is the reason, my friends... That I can stand not only confident in that, confident and with a clear conscience, but I can stand in the midst of a spiritual battle today because Jesus Christ rules preeminently in glory because of his exalted position. James Boyce said this, more of us need to begin to think of Jesus as he is to t- today today exalted to a position of honor at god's right hand most people's image of jesus is that of a baby in a manger it is a sentimental picture best reserved for christmas and other sentimental times others picture him hanging on a cross that too is sentimental though it is sentimentally of a different pious sort jesus is not in a manger today that is past no more is he hanging on a cross That is past too, since Jesus came once to die for sin and after that to ascend to heaven to share in the fullness of God's power and glory. He said when Stephen, the first martyr, had his dying vision of the exalted Christ, it was of Jesus standing at the right hand of God to receive him into heaven. When John on the Isle of Patmos had his vision of Jesus, it was of one who was of God as God himself. The apostle was so overcome by Jesus' heavenly splendor that he fell at his feet as though dead. And perhaps that's exactly what needs to happen in us today. That we need to be so, so overcome and overwhelmed with the reality of the exalted position of Christ sitting at the right hand of God that that controls every thought and every action, every thought we think, every action we do, every every word we say. Jesus went into heaven and he is at the right hand of God. I want to I want to close out this morning by just telling you four reasons that it is really important that we understand that Jesus ascended and is at the right hand of the Father. Four reasons this is really, really important. And I'm just going to give these to you rapidly as we move on to the Lord's table. But I think, first of all, it is of utmost importance because it, is, it was Jesus Himself who said in John 16, 7, he said, it is good for you that I go to heaven. Why? Because when I go, my Father's going to send to you a helper. The ascension of Christ, the glorification of Christ, is of absolute necessity. It is good for us to consider today because it is through the ascension of Jesus Christ and His glorification that God sent to us the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit has come to bring his conviction to the world of sin to bring our convic- to bring his conviction that there is only one righteousness that is available to God to, to man. Through God, in the person of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit has come that He might empower the church to do the work of ministry. The Holy Spirit has gifted us that we might be be, be, uh, uh, instruments in His hand for His glory in this age because of the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said it would not be possible for God to send the Holy Spirit had He not gone into heaven to be exalted at the right hand of God. But not only is the ascension, the glorification of Christ, essential, good, important for us to to understand and accept because of the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. It is essential because, secondly, of the advocacy of the Lord Jesus Christ. I quoted earlier Paul's words from Romans chapter 8. Just listen to what Paul said in Romans chapter 8 and verse 34. Who is going to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. And then he says, who is at the right hand of God. And what is he doing? He is indeed interceding for us. We have the advocacy of the Lord Jesus Christ. John tells us in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, we have an advocate with the Father, someone who pleads on our behalf. Praise the Lord. And because Jesus has ascended, He is at the right hand, and in real time, He is making intercession for His own. The third reason that this is of of absolute, that this is absolutely essential. We understand something of the ascension and glorification of Jesus Christ is because of the proof. This, this is the proof of Christ's second coming. Maybe most of you have memorized the words of Jesus in John chapter 14. Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me, in my Father's house, are many mansions, if it were not so, I would have told you. Behold, he says what? I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, what? If I go, what? If I go, I will surely come again and receive you unto myself, so that where I am, there you may be also. The ascension, the glorification of Christ is of essential a, a, a nature because it is a demonstration of God's proof of the second coming. I already quoted to you Acts chapter 1 when the angels stood there. The disciples are standing there trying to strain their eyes to see Jesus as he's taken up in a cloud. And he said, why are you standing here looking? Don't you know that this very same Jesus will return in like manner? This is the assurance of the coming of Christ. The second coming of Christ. That's That is... It certainly implied in that psalm, Psalm 110. The Lord said to my Lord, sit here till I make your enemies. Until what? I make your enemies into your footstool. And I said, that's an already but not yet reality. He is ruling and he is reigning and he will rule and he will reign for eternity. That's our hope. This is essential because of the presence and power of the Holy Spirit, because of the advocacy of Jesus Christ, because of the proof of the second coming of Christ. But let me tell you thirdly, or fourthly, that this ascension and this glorification of Jesus Christ is essential because it proves to be to us a tremendous motivation for godly living. A tremendous motivation for godly living. See, uh, uh, um, 1 John chapter 2 and 3, and now little children, abide in him so that when he appears we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him because we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies himself as He is pure. The ascension, the glorification of Christ, the reality that He is at the right hand of God in heaven making intercession for us waiting to return while He is preparing a place for those who believe in Him. That is is a tremendous motivation for us to live a godly life. Let me just talk practically. In those moments where you find yourself caught up in deceptive speech, in slander and in gossip, when you find yourself Wanting, ha- having that hateful attitude toward a brother or sister in Christ, when you are sitting there in front of your computer screen thinking if you'll just clink, click this link that you'll have some sort of temporary satisfaction, you remember that there is one who is seated at the right hand of God in his exalted position with a name that is above every name. And that same Jesus will return again. This is the power, this is the strength for you and I to live an overcoming life. A life of godliness and righteousness and hope. Free from the despair of sin. This is, look to Jesus, friends. And that's what Peter does here in 1 Peter chapter 3. Don't fear suffering. It's okay to suffer as a Christian. Don't run from it. Why? Because Jesus is at the right hand of God. He's right there, right now. For sure. No doubt about it. He's making intercession for you. He he has given you the, the, the Spirit of God. He's making intercession for you. He's given this wonderful promise of his second coming and that, and the reality that one day we'll see him and we'll be like him in a perfect, glorified existence, absolutely welcomed and well-pleasing in the sight of God. So as we come to the Lord's table today, you know, sometimes the... the, 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 the Coming together as a meal is often a time of rejoicing and celebration. And that's what we're doing today. We, we come around this table in, in rejoicing. We come around this table in celebration. Because you're not, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are not mostly righteous. You're not almost pleasing to God. You're all the way there, brothers and sisters. Nothing left to be done. They ought to be rejoicing in this place today as we come to the Lord's table. You don't have to be a member of this church to partake together. Uh, But you have to be able to say before you and God that you have a right standing with God. You have got to be able to say, there is nothing in me that is worthy of condemnation. Listen, because it's already been paid for in Christ, I trust Him fully. If that's you today, you're trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ completely for your salvation, then I'm going to invite you to this table. We'll pass out these elements, this bread and this cup that will symbolize the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, not as a way to get saved, not as a way to make yourself somehow. C- could you imagine? Could you imagine my wife you know, she she loves the holiday time and she wants to have our family around and could you imagine that we would say, okay, family, you come in here and you eat this meal and then we'll consider you part of family. No. Come to think of it, it might not be a bad idea to charge admission, but no, we wouldn't say that. Why? Because you already are. We, we welcome you around our table because of who you are, outside of yourself. And that's what this table is for us today. A reminder of who we are in Christ outside of ourselves. We have an alien righteousness. And so if you can say that you've confessed your sins, you believe in the Lord genuinely, then I invite you to this table. Maybe you're kind of come here today and you say, you know what, I am a believer in Jesus, but there's this particular way I've been I've been living in sin. And and I I you you say, I, I'm a believer, I know I'm a believer, but man, I've been living in this sin. And, what do I call you to I call you to repent. Confess that today and leave that sin. Turn from it. Forsake it because of your love for Jesus Christ and then come to the table. But if you won't believe, in, one, if you won't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, two, if you will not leave your sinful lifestyle, then don't take today. Don't take. You let that pass by as a symbol that you're saying, you know what? The grace of God, I don't want it. I'll take care of this myself. I told you before, I had a, a lunch with a, an old neighbor of mine and I was trying to preach the gospel to him and I said to him, I said, friend, let me tell you, I said, uh, uh, explain to him about his sin. I said, how do you plan on paying for your sin? Do you understand that Jesus paid for it all? He said, listen, he said, I view it this way. If I'm man enough to sin, I better be man enough to pay for my own sin. I won't have Jesus pay for it. Please don't be like that today. Please don't be like that today. We're just going to have a time of of quiet reflection. Uh, Kids, this is a time for just quiet reflection on the gospel. Your parents will tell you whether or not you can take together, but uh, if not, don't worry about that. You just sit there and you think about the gospel. Think about the good news of Jesus. Think about the reality that God in Christ paid for your sin. And ask whether or not you're truly trusting Christ and believing Him. All right, we'll just take these few moments of quietness, maybe for for reflection of, one, if you're a believer or not, two, if there's an area of sin that you need to repent, and then we'll come up after a few moments and uh, read some scriptures, and we'll pass out the elements. Just a few moments now of quiet reflection.